I'm interrupting my own podcast to talk to you about Anchor. Anchor is brought to you by Spotify and is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. It will also help you distribute your podcast across popular podcast hosting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. Best of all, you can make money from your podcast on Anchor with no minimum listenership. So for those of us just starting out, this is very helpful. And do you know how much it costs to have everything you need to make a podcast in one place? 100% free. Yep, you heard me right. You can do all of this and make money for free. So if you have been thinking about starting your own podcast, now is your chance. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now let's get back to the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode two of Lost and Refound podcast. We are so happy you're back. If this is your first episode, then welcome. We have a very special guest today, Cheris Marquez. Cheris is the VP of Sales at Levi's, an executive sponsor of Levi's Black Employee Resource Group. Cheris was my director at my previous job, so I have known her for a few years now. I consider her to be one of the most important mentors in my life. To this day, whenever I get too boggled down into the details of things, I hear Cheris' voice in my head telling me to take a step back and look at the bigger picture. And now more than ever, I need her guidance. Because like I said in the first episode, I have grown up in a bubble. While I was aware of certain things, I have never really paid close attention. At this point, Yvonne and I both feel it is very important for us to read, listen, and learn before we can figure out how to make the most impact. So we are so honored to have Cheris here to give us some guidance and to tell her own experiences. So without further ado, please welcome Cheris to the podcast. Hi, Cheris. Hi, Anne. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on our podcast. It's really an honor. Um, You know, as I told you in my text that... Yvonne and I are both Asian Americans, so we know very little of what it's really like to be in Black America, and we really sort of want to educate ourselves and also our community on that experience, because I think within the Asian American community, there's still it's very little understanding of what it's really like. We only know through what we see on TV or we read through the news. And then there's also just, you know, stereotypes that everyone has heard of. So we felt like it's really important to actually hear real stories. And Yelena actually pointed me to the LinkedIn article that you wrote. I don't check LinkedIn as much uh, as I should. So when I read it, I was like, oh my God, why haven't I reached out to Cheris? You know, we've been talking, we should be hearing other stories, but I have just, again, been reading and doing my own research, but not actually talking to real people. So I'm really happy for you to come on. Um, But before anything, my first question to you is, how are you doing through all of this? Yeah, um, first of all, I'm, I'm really happy to be here. I really think that the way that we're going to make change is by having these kinds of conversations. So I was really thrilled when you asked me and I was, um, yeah, I just, I'm I'm super excited to be here and talk about this today. And in terms of how I'm feeling, you know, it's been an emotional roller coaster this month. Um, As a Black person in America, you are used to going through these events. What happened to George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, um, Tony McDade, there's, I mean, there's a lot of names, even in the past couple of weeks, but we hear about these things a lot. And you you kind of mourn, you mourn that, that person and you mourn who 
it could have been in your family, who, what friend it could have been, or could it have been yourself every single time, like it kind of chips away at you. So it was really emotional, definitely in the beginning, you try to push it to the side. Um, but I've gone through a range of emotions now because there's been a shift in the way people talk about this and think about this for people outside of the Black community. So that's made me really hopeful because I'm starting to see things in people, you know, reaching out to me, wanting to talk about it. When I used to bring this stuff up before, people would say, yeah, but that doesn't really happen that much. I mean, they would always kind of make excuses or try to dismiss my feelings or dismiss the incident within itself. So I am... Um, I'm, I'm really hopeful now and I actually am really excited because now I feel like I have, I have partners in this. I have not only allies, but I think people are seeing that this is our society and is this a society that we collectively want to live in? It's not just a black problem and oh, I'm, you're my black friend, so I'm going to help you. I think people are finally like, well, it's it's something we have to do because I don't want my kids to grow up in a society that's like this. Um, so I'm feeling really hopeful right now. I'm feeling really excited. I'm exhausted in some ways, you know, because it's draining to to constantly go through the things that you push away all the time. Um, but I'm really I'm really hopeful and. And I also feel really purposeful now because I feel like now when people are reaching out to me, I am helping them gain gain perspective and we can work through it together. So I'm I'm feeling really good. If you would have probably talked to me last week, it would have been different. And the week before it would have been mm -hmm. different. Um, but right now I'm I'm really hopeful and I'm really excited and I just hope that this isn't a one-time thing. I hope that this is, you know, this is a shift in society, that it really is a revolution and a movement. So, Yes, I agree. I think it's really important to keep the fuel going for this. Last night, I watched the LA, the 92 LA riots um, that happened. I was, 1992, I was still in China. I came in 1993. I heard about it. I never actually looked into it. And, you know, it just taught me a lot. And I think what surprised me the most was nothing much has changed you know what caused that riot it's it's exactly the same as what's causing these protests and that's where i realized how bad things were because in my mind has always been yeah things are, are not ideal but it's been better but watching that documentary really kind of woke me up we were only shown things that the media wanted us to know and now, you know, with, with social media, when all the, everybody having cell phones, we are actually able to see what's really happening. That's one of the reasons why we felt it's important for people to come on and actually speak about their own stories. One of the other things I realized uh, when I was thinking about the experience is there are times when I'll see something in the news and, you know, I want to reach out to my African-American friends or my Latina friends, you know, if it's impacting their community. But I felt like there is some sensitivity around the whole race discussion discussion where sometimes I find myself hesitating on not even making that call because even though I want to, I almost don't want to point out that it's a racial issue, even though obviously it is a racial issue. That's something I had to change deep inside of myself, that there's obvious programming there that I did not realize and I'm not recognizing. So I'm hoping more people are starting to recognize that it is okay to speak about race. Yes, it's it's definitely okay. And frankly, it's in to me, it's it's encouraged. I mean, I think as a Black American, as Blacks, we tend to be more direct anyway. We we don't like, <laughs> you know, the dilly-dallying around. We want people to just kind of 
tell us how it is. And it doesn't mean that you have to instantly give your opinion, but even that question of just how, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. It seems like there's a lot going on, you know, in your community. If you want to talk about it, let's talk. If not, then that's okay too. But, you know, a lot of times when these things happen, like I said before, we, we are in pain and you wouldn't hesitate to ask a friend if they had, you know, a family member that passed away or, you know, or you just knew they lost their job or, you know, something that you felt like that was bad. You would still say something. You may not make them talk about it, but you would still say something. So, you know, I've gotten a lot of that this week that I didn't know what to say. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it's just, are you okay? If you want to talk about it, I'm here. I can't say I understand what you're going through, but I'm here to listen if if you want to listen. Yes. From the culturally too, from Asian Americans, we're, we tend to be more quiet, right? We tend to be observing and not really speaking up. So this actually, I've seen a ton of just Asian Americans speaking out for their support. And that's something new to me. Usually we don't try to interject our opinions. It is very encouraging to see all the communities coming together. Obviously, there are still members within each community that is holding back. This is why... I think education is really important. One of the education things is I find myself last week speaking nonstop about Black Lives Matter movements. I feel like this movement has been going on for a few years now. We all should understand what this is about. But it's very clear to me a lot of people still do not understand what it's about because a lot of people still coming back to me and say, well, no, that makes no sense. That in itself is racist because all lives matter or, you know, Blue Lives Matter, which I find even more insulting at a time like this. So, you know, I would love to speak from your own experiences. You know, what does this movement mean to you and what this movement is and what is not? Yes. So um, Black Lives Matter to me and, you know, I've heard people explain it in different ways, but this was the best the best way that I had heard it, because I'm a person who likes examples. Um, the best example I've heard is that, you know, if you're you're in your neighborhood and your house is on fire and the fire department comes, you don't, your neighbor shouldn't be saying, oh, but my house matters too. You know, don't worry about, don't worry about that house that's burning because mine, my house matters, even though my house isn't on fire. And what it really is about is that all lives do matter, but for a really long time, ours haven't. And for a really long time, we have been looked at as less than. We have been compared, you know, we are the same as animals. We are the same as, we are just a lower class, not even of citizens, you know, for the, for the longest time. And we're still treated that way in a lot of ways. So this whole movement wasn't really about no one else exists but us, but let us exist with you. And, and so it's the reminder that we are also people, we are also human beings, we also feel pain, we also have issues, and we have a house that needs to be cleaned up, and it's, it's a house that's been messed up for a really, really long time. And it would be one thing if it was just caused by us, but it's caused by everybody around us as much as us. So um, that's why it's so important to call out the black lives piece because we're the one being damaged that in that fire example you know there are people adding fuel to the fire while our while our house is on fire and they're still worried about their own house getting burned down yes um so that's why i think it's it's really important and it's really important to make that distinction because we wholeheartedly agree that every single life matters we just want ours to to be on the same level as everyone else's 
Yes, I, I completely agree. And I think one of the things I keep explaining to some of my friends is, you know, being Asian Americans, we, you know, we have the stereotype of the model minority, right? This is not, you know, some people think that's a good thing. Some people think it's a bad thing, but it's, I mean, I did some studying over the weekend and in a future episode, I'm going to talk into the history of how that even came around, right? It was used very much control the whole racism conversation by mainstream media. So, um, but I know a lot of Asian Americans do enjoy that title. But the thing is, when it comes to racism, you might think it doesn't touch you, but it's going to trickle down. We might be sitting pretty right now. That's now. What's going to happen? Let's say they do take down the African American community. Guess what? They're coming for you next, right? So again, we're all connected. We're all minorities. We all should be standing together. And we all saw how fast the mainstream media turned on Asians during COVID. So again, no one is safe, you know? So like, this is where I feel we're being very short-sighted to say, this is not my problem. Let them take care of it. We are just fine. And where, you know, we can only solve this if we come together. You can't, you guys cannot do it all by yourselves. A big part is white people have to help. They have the most control, but all of us minorities, we have a voice. And when we come together, our voice cannot be suppressed at that point. Yep, totally agree. I also want to talk about your mother of three boys, mm-hmm. right? And they're not only black, they're interracial because mm-hmm. your husband is Mexican. Yeah. So I would love to know what kind of conversation you guys are having. Mm-hmm. Well, we have a lot of conversations in our house. Um, when you are in an interracial relationship, I think when you're dating, you don't really think about, it's kind of like, oh, that's cool. You're different. You know, that's fine. I respect your culture. I respect, you, you know, all of these mm-hmm. things. Once you have kids, it's like, oh, wait well, what's their religion going to be? Or who are they going to hang out with? Or who are they going to associate with? And how is that going to work? And why do you guys wear this? And why do you do that? And, you know, so that conversation has to, is part of our conversation almost daily. We're almost always talking about our differences so that we can work through it for our kids. Um, We have to figure out who talks to our kids about what. And frankly, I have to have a lot more of the conversations. I have to have the why don't, why you do not use the N-word conversation when they might hear a black friend of theirs using it. I have to hear, you know, I have to talk to them about the police and, you know, and I have to talk to them about the fact that even though, yes, they are mixed and and my kids look very different and they'll all receive different levels of racism based on the way that they look. And Mm -hmm. that's something that I'm very cognizant of. I don't know if they're, but I can't even say they're not cognizant of it because my oldest, who I would say looks the most black, knows that. Every Mm -hmm. avatar he creates is the black character. (laughs) I mean, darker than him and everything. He, but he knows, he very much knows that he's black and that's the way he's going to be perceived. So we, we definitely have the same conversations with them, but we do look more to my oldest because we know he could receive it the most most extremely, you know, out of the group. And, and sadly, sometimes that makes, it makes me happy because he's my most, um, call it timid, not timid, but just, he's not a rock the boat type of kid, you Mm -hmm. know, unlike maybe my middle kid who is a little more. And when it comes to having an altercation with the police, that's not the time to show, you know, your rebellious side, you know, that's not the time to do anything. Um, So yeah, we do have the conversations we have not since my oldest is 10. We haven't, I would say, have the official conversation on, you know, when you're with a policeman, you say this, and you do this, and you do that. We have always told our kids that, you know, manners are kind of above everything, making sure that they're more respectful. And we also always have to tell them that, 
they have to be better than everybody else in order to just be considered, in order to even be looked at. Um, it's not, it's not, it's not a question. It's, it's a must do. That is the only way if you want to even be recognized for anything positive, um, you have to be better. You, you we're taught that you have to be kind of better than everyone else. Um, yeah. so that's a big, you know, that's definitely a conversation we have now, obviously, as they get older, we will go through each of call it the stages of, you know, here's how you are when you're with the police. Here's how you are when you're with people, you know, who are older people who are of another color. If someone says something to you, don't say it back, don't fight back, or here's when you do fight back. So yeah, we haven't had to have a lot of those conversations. We, we do bring it up and my husband and I intentionally, when we have our own debates, do it in front of the kids. We don't try to keep it behind closed doors um, because we want them to see that kind of, um, in some ways that cognitive dissonance that happens when you have these two different you know races and then you know on the other side on the Mexican side they're dealing with a whole different set you know of challenges and so we have to help them understand that too so we have there's there's a lot of conversations that are had and a lot of ways that we approach it I think in the black culture, we really push super hard to remind children, especially when they grow up around children that don't look like them, that they are black. Like, don't think you're white. <laughs> don't think you're Asian, even though all of your friends may be. You mm-hmm. are not. Um, and that's something that you get drilled and drilled and drilled into you. Our identity is really important to us, where, as I found with my husband, that's less important pushing that they're Mexican, you know, we'll remind them when they're kind of like, oh, you know, yeah, my dad's Mexican and you are too. We remind them of those kinds of things, but it's not as big a deal to them. Whereas I'm like, no, we have to go to this museum and you need to know your history. It's just, it's just more extreme, probably for all the reasons that we're talking about, because we know they need to know what that is and what that means. And they need to know that it's, that people may think you're less, but you are not less. So we push a lot of that education um, to remind our kids and make sure our kids continue to have that confidence when they're going to constantly, it's going to be questioned in their life kind of throughout, throughout their lives. Yeah, we definitely do not have the same conversation in my house. I think this is one of the first times we really sat the kids down to talk about race and quality. And when I was growing up, I was told to look for cops when I'm in trouble. I can't imagine how confusing it is for a child to grow up afraid of an authority figure whose job is supposed to protect you. I'm assuming your kids know what's going on right now. How are they dealing with the current situation? Yeah, I don't know that my youngest does, but I did ask my oldest if he knew what was going on. And he did say, um, he said, yeah, I know. I know George Floyd was killed. And I said, oh, okay, you know about George Floyd. What do you know? Did you see the video? He said, no, I did not see the video. And, you know, I just kind of explained to him that um, there people are protesting because they were killing. They Yes, that sometimes the police kill black people more than they kill other people. And there are a lot of good police out there. And it's not that this is, this is how they all are. Um, but this is what happened. And sometimes we need to be aware of it in a different way that other races don't. And, you know, so I made it very general at the time. And I asked him if he wanted to talk more about it. And he said, you know what, mom, I don't because I don't want to be scared. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I kind of left it at that and said, you know, we'll we'll come back to it. But we we do try to remind them that you can't do this because because you're black. You can't act the same way 
as your white peers. You can't act crazy at a party. You can't, you like that can't, you're not, that's not you. So um, yeah, so we do have those those conversations and, and obviously there are times that it definitely keeps me up at night when I think about what's gonna happen when they turn 15 or 16. I'm like, how do I protect them from that? How do I make sure, do I need to go to every single neighbor to make sure that they're not calling the police on them to make sure they know my child's face, mm-hmm. um, to make sure they know that he belongs there. And, and that's hard because you can't, you can't run from that anywhere. There's no neighborhood I can live in ever, even though yeah. I think about it, but there still isn't that I can, you know, cause it happens everywhere. I literally stopped breathing when you're talking about that. Every single mother should understand that fear of your child not coming home. You know, we, we talk about, my husband and I talk about, we're afraid our kids will drink too much or get in a car. But those situations, at least we can try to control, right? But you can't control someone else's actions towards your child. And that's, I, that, I don't know what to say to that. Yeah. Um, I actually want to bring it back to the conversation that you're having with your sons. I'm assuming you probably, your parents probably had a similar conversation with you when you're young. I would love to hear how did that impact you as you're growing up? You know, it's interesting. I've thought about this because I get so worried about talking to my sons, but I never remember being upset by it. It was just kind of the way things were. Mm, I just always remember my parents saying, you have to be every better than everybody else. You have to dress better. You have to speak better. You have to get that grade. You have to, you know, and it's just to be equal. And it was just kind of a, and I can't even tell you when the first time it happened, I was probably like four years old, you know, and in ballet, you know, it was like, it was, it's, it's just kind of been something that you just sort of comes with the territory. And, and then in terms of, you know, here's how you behave with the police. I think a lot of it is not so much because I'm a female, I didn't get as much like when you are with the police, you do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. But it's always been, you know, um, not white people think less of you, but it goes back to that being better, which means being more polite. So already kind of just building those natural like, okay, if you're polite, and you're better than everyone, and you're dressed the right way, and you sound the right way, and you act the right way, and all, and you've checked off all these boxes, you have a lower chance of something mm-hmm. bad happening to you. But you, but you heard about, I had a cousin that was killed by the police, you know, I've, I've had a lot, you know, my dad got ruffled up, my dad six foot seven, and you know, and he was pulled over by the police, and they, you know, told him to get out of the car, told him to get back in once they realized how big he was, you know, it was like they, they were all freaked out. You know, everybody kind of has, has their own um, set of stories. I do remember being really upset, you know, once, because um, when I was in kindergarten, a, a kid who was probably in like fifth or sixth grade just kept screaming the N-word at me and you dumb N-word, 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 N-word over and over again, like, whole bus ride. And I do remember being kind of devastated by that. And my dad wanted to like wanting to like ride the bus, (laughs) kick the kids, butt. but you can't do that, right? You can't do it. Um, And so I remember that incident and did it. I was, you know, obviously kind of scared to get it back on that bus. But, Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's just sort of something that comes with the territory. So as, as, you know, nervous as I am to talk to my kids, I don't remember it being something that I was like, well, why? And why am I different? And why this? And I think it's the combination of, again, giving your kids that confidence to say, 
you already know that you, that you're better and it's okay it's okay that they're going to only see you equal as this and you know just i think you just start ingraining that in their head and ingraining how you behave and it didn't hit me until i was older that like i had to be the one that was the more patient more you know <laughs> that mm -hmm. i had to build those skills within me otherwise things were going to happen and then you just start hearing the things in the news or hearing about your friends or hearing about your family and you're and it just reinforces why you have to do those things yeah but i mean it sounds exhausting to have to always be the best always think about the consequences we are not the best. I was uh, listening to a podcast. They had Dr. Jason Campbell, the TikTok doctor, he's also known as. He was saying, you know, he's African-American and he obviously lives in the affluent area, but he was saying even when he goes running, jogging in his area, he never puts on a hoodie. If he does, his hood is never on. And when he's going to work, he's always in slack. He's very conscious about how he's dressed. And that to me, that blew my mind too. Cause I'm like, you're a doctor. A white person never had to think about how they dress. I don't think about how I dress. I'm always in a hoodie and I never have to think about the danger of just having a hood over my head. All of these things are wake up calls for me of how much I did not realize and how much racism really impacts different groups differently. I also want to hear from you, what does it mean to you for anybody outside the African-American community that wants to be an ally? What does, the, what does being ally mean to you outside of going to protests and making donations? What else should we be doing right now? Yeah, I think... I think it's really having black friends, right? And really, you know, everybody's like, oh, I have a black friend because I know somebody from work, but mm -hmm. they've never really asked them about that experience. And they've never really been open to hearing about that experience, even when they ask. It's, you know, you have to be open that when you say, how's this stuff impacting you to hear the answer? And the answer is not always going to make you feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, so I think some of it is just like really understanding people's cultural differences and why that is, uh, because it's really quick for us to say, well, this group is just lazy or this group is just that. But what's what's really behind that? What's what's the context behind that? And what's the the system, you know, behind that? Um, so I think that's one piece. I think it's the first place you have to start is with you, right? And reflecting like, what are my own current biases? When I see these things, what triggers in me? And it happens to all of us. I mean, I've found myself, you know, saying something or doing something. And I'm like, oh my gosh, man, that was, you know, racist. And it wasn't in a like malicious way, but it was just like, here I am spouting to people, don't be this way with black people and see us all as people. And, and I, here I am doing things. So a lot of times it's just that reflection. So being an ally is understanding the differences and being the good and the bad and, and being okay with it. Not just being like, we love your music and you know, and you guys can dance and you guys are funny, but I don't want to deal with the problems in your communities, you know? So I think it's, I think that if people really didn't just have black friends, but really let them in the way they let people of their own race in. And this isn't just a black thing. I'm saying reach out, period. You know, mm -hmm. and I'm not saying black people do it any better. So I'm not, this isn't, this isn't a knock on any one race or the other, but blacks have had to kind of fit in to yeah. everywhere else, you know? So, um, so we're used to it where we know, we know what, what whites especially are like, because we've had to fit in with them. Otherwise, it, it's not going to work. Um, so I do think that's a big piece of it. Yeah, I, I think, sure, if you want to protest because that's your thing with us, then great. Be alongside, uh, alongside with us. That's, that's fine. If you want to um, donate, then that's fine. But I think the biggest role people can play is 
helping people who look like them understand this experience and understand, well, all of them, all Blacks are not like this, or they are, you know, yes, stereotypically they may be like this, but do you understand that's because of slavery, you know, that's because Mm -hmm. of a historical context that, you know, everybody says like, get over slavery, but then they talk about 9-11, never forget. Like, (laughs) how come, you know, why, we had 400 years this wasn't like a little period of time we haven't even been out of it we're still you know babies in it the civil rights movement was not that long ago Mm -hmm. like all of these wounds are still really really fresh and there's all these systems that were put in place in the meantime this all these structural systems that nobody wants to break down because frankly it works for everybody but us so um so I think you have to figure out what works for you. If you feel like you need the awareness and you need to understand the history to do it, then read the books. Mm-hmm. If you feel like, you know, it's it's for you, it's like, well, I'll just donate money. Yep, donate money. If it's supporting, you know, I think all of the above are right. I've, I've talked with a lot of people, black, white, and, and they feel like there's one solution, right? Well, it's, you know, it's me feeling bad for you. Well, no, I don't want your pity. You know, I would rather you talk to your, if what, what you can do for me, let's say white person is you can go and talk to your friends and your family. And when they say something that doesn't make sense or open the conversation with them, they're only going to listen to you. They're not going to listen to us. And that's why everybody thinks, well, we're just going to help the black, you know, the black race. No, this is, this is our country's problem. Mm -hmm. It's not just about, this is our country's problem. So, um, and people aren't going to listen to us. If they did, we wouldn't have had problems for as long as we have. If, if they just, if, if me just saying that this is a problem was enough, then we wouldn't, we wouldn't have them. So, um, so yeah, I'm obviously excited about this one, but I, I just think that there's a lot that people can do. Yeah. Like you have to do what's comfortable. Otherwise you won't do it again. You might listen to one and you'll cry and you'll feel bad and you'll be like, oh, you black sons and I, you shouldn't have to think about that. But what are you doing when you go to work and you hear people, you know, maybe doing little microaggressions to that same, you know, to my son who maybe went to Harvard and, you know, and did all the right things and checked the boxes and was dressed well and was still racially profiled in the building, you know, and security yeah. didn't want to let him in or somebody called security on him. Like, what are you doing in those instances, you know, and, and are you there and do you understand that person and can you defend that person to someone of your own race who actually will listen to you? I think that's the biggest thing is just how do you, when the time comes, are you able to talk to the people in your own race about this issue and debate with them because they will take it a little more to heart. They might not initially. I mean, I remember something when I was little that my dad, you know, would always do and he would um anytime somebody would start to talk about a racial joke he'd be like whatever three jewish people when he like i don't i don't want to hear it he would just instantly cut them off like he wouldn't even give them the opportunity they'd be like no this is a good one it's not you he's like if you're saying three jewish then it's going to be three n words after i leave the room (laughs) and and you know i remember seeing that even as a little kid because people would always try and like bring all that up. And he's like, if you're going to do that one, it's going to be me next. So, you know, he, he cut it off easily. And I always thought that was a really good policy, right. (laughs) To kind of just shut it off instantly. That, that is a great policy. We do have to really nip in the butt when we see something like this happen. I said things that was a stereotype, you know, that I never even thought about how we impact a different group. And uh, in fact, I was asking my husband last time, like, I make fun of Asians all the time, you know, because I'm Asian, I feel I have the right to, but should I be even doing that? What you say does matter and people hear the things you say and then they repeat it. And we just have to be more conscious of the things that we're saying. 
Right. And I wouldn't get too, you know, on the jokes and stuff, because I think that's another piece is that people get frozen and they say nothing because they're worried they're going to say something that's going to offend someone. Well, um, I guess it's the intention behind what you're saying. Ex exactly. Yeah, like if so somebody if you're a comedian, asks, then that's okay. But, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, and if frankly you had you had that close relationship with someone of another race or with someone black it wouldn't be a big deal my husband and i are talking about blacks and mexicans all day not in a <laughs> negative you know not really in a negative light but we joke about it all day but it's because yeah. we have that mutual respect yes that it's he knows i care about his people i he cares about my people you know so it's not but you have to get to that level in order mm -hmm. to then go there. So it's not like I can never tell a joke, but no, you can't do it at work. No, you can't. Sorry. Right. <laughs> because you don't know those people like that, period. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't start talking about your crap about your boss, you know, making jokes about him in front of people and think that you wouldn't have repercussions. You don't have that kind of relationship. So yes. a lot of it's just about the relationship. Like, look at your own circle. Look at the people. It's not just about, well, oh, I say hi to somebody at work and that's my friend. Like, who are you allowing in your house? Who are you talking to on the weekends? Who are you when they have something, when something is wrong? You are right there. You know, you're helping clean up at their kid's birthday party. Like, those are the things that sometimes you see within your own race that you wouldn't think twice about doing. But with another person, you kind of put up your own, your own wall instead of building out that relationship. Yes, that is very, very true. Yvonne, I know you had some questions for chairs. Do you want to ask some of your questions? Uh, sure. Uh, my uh, my questions are maybe a little a little less dark. Um, uh, but I was really curious about uh, race and gender in the workplace. Um, after reading the article in Harvard Business Review, um, one of the points that really struck me was that it's not enough to change your pipeline. Once you say like we're going to reach out to more diverse hires, if we're going to reach out to like more Black women specifically, we um, some some businesses sometimes think that's just a check in the box, but we really need to be fostering and supporting them once they're in the community as well, because then the conversation changes. Who's their mentor? Who's their sponsor? And who's their manager to really increase the opportunities for them when they're when they're also inside and change the communication, change the conversation, so that inappropriate jokes aren't made in the workplace, right? And I was wondering if you could talk to your experience about being the executive sponsor of the Black Employee Resource yeah. Group at Levi's. Yeah, so um, we're going through a lot right now. I think a lot of companies are, are going through a lot. And I have a lot of um, Black women in my office, you know, <laughs> talking about the things that they're running into. You know, um, we are seen as aggressive. You know, the data has been shown that women in court, black women specifically in corporate America, if they do something wrong, will be more severely punished than, than their peers of any other race. That is a fact through study, you know, through studies. So um, that's been, you know, a challenge. And I think what I, what I run into personally, as well as anyone, any other black females that I talk to is that typically, and it happens for men too, but Black women take care of a lot, like we take care of a lot usually, you know, within our families and um, and just at work and we're kind of the ones that are known to sort of pick up, pick it all up and, and clean everything up. We're the ones that take the jobs that nobody else wants, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And what I find is that sometimes as black women, we get in our own head because once you get in a role, once you get in a certain position or at a certain level, you're the only one usually. 
you usually don't have anybody to look up to. Some, in some cases, you may have like, if, or if you do, you have one person. Maybe there's that one person that, that, that maybe is above you that you can look to as a mentor. Um, but you also know like, if you screw it up, you've screwed it up for everybody below you. Like we have this in our head that because you're typically the only one when you get in corporate America, I think I just read a statistic that it's like of the call it corporate working population, it's really only 8% of blacks. So we're normally in more of a working population. Um, don't quote me where I get, got that from, but I, I recently read that and I was like, okay, here we go. You know, and so there's a lot of instances where we're, we're, you're the only one and we know because we had all those conversations with our parents that's like, don't screw it up because what you do is not just about what you do for yourself it is a reflection on every black person that will come through that company so there's there's kind of a lot of um there's a lot of pressure with that because you know that it's not just about how you perform for yourself it's what does that mean for all the next people because if you perform well they'll look at that next black girl and say yeah of course we'll bring them up but if it doesn't work out it's looked you were the representative of that group and they may not try again with that. So I definitely, you know, see that with people that I talk to that, you know, maybe they won't take as many assignments because they're worried that if they, if it's not perfect and they don't do it well, you know, then, then they're going to, they're going to screw it up for the rest of us. You know, it's, there's, there's a lot that kind of goes on in, in your head um, in, in corporate America with that. Wow. Yvonne's speechless. <laughs> Again, these are things we don't we don't think about, right? This is why we're having this conversation because we don't think about these things. We're, if anything, we're in our own heads. You know, think about how we look, not about how we represent mm -hmm. our entire race, our entire group. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and the, no, we definitely, we definitely do. And I actually had to have a conversation um, with someone. You know, we were doing some things and. We were working, you know, on a project and they didn't, they turned in their piece late and it was, you know, another black female. And I had to bring her in my office and say, look, you have to understand, like, you are our representation of this department for this project we're doing. And when you're late, we're all late in <laughs> that next person. And it is, it is a lot of pressure, but it is, it is what it is. Cause when you're the only one, you know, it's now, you know, I'm at Levi's, there is no one that I can look to in the company that's at a higher level than, than I am for me to say, what do we do? But I, but it's also like, okay, but if I screw it up, <laughs> what's going to happen to the people behind me or how long is it going to take before there's another person that's in that position? Um, do, do you think Levi's is doing a, a, a good job so far um, in, in supporting you? I think they have been incredibly supportive of me and I think they've seen it as as me, not necessarily as a as a black female, not that they they're unwilling to um, talk about that or, or be a part of that. But um, I think like a lot like a lot of companies, um, Levi's is Levi's has been wonderful for me and it's really about authenticity and it's been about um, you know, really want our values. And what's been, what's been really interesting now is that we're not there yet with this equality stuff, you know, with this equality stuff. And yes, those are our values, but how do we kind of check each other and how do we hold each other accountable? And the response has been great. I mean, I think it's just more 
like the rest, like a lot of us with all these recent incidents, it's really been that awareness piece that we have to like bring out. Because I think once people were aware, they're like, wow, we're not where we should be. We thought we were, but we're not where we should be. So it's it's been a great environment for me because I don't expect that people are going to know all the answers. But if I raise that there's a problem, then let's fix it. And that's, that's, that's all you can ask for. You know, I keep saying this, especially as we're having all these conversations, but it's like, you can only start where you are. Levi's can't, isn't going to have like a full board with, you know, 50% be black people on it tomorrow. I'm not saying they should ever have that necessarily, you know, but, um, but I do think that just the fact that Levi's was able to give me a platform for me to kind of use my own voice and said, and we, we are behind you and we support you and we want to, you know, we want you to have your voice heard out there, I think means a lot. So no, are we doing everything perfect? Absolutely not. But there's a willingness to do it right and to get as, as good as we can and to really be true to ourselves. I think that's the bigger thing is like, that is who we are. That's what we're about. We were, th we were the company that chose to not um, segregate our factories. We kept our factories integrated when everybody else was, was keeping their factories, you know, segregated and but we have to hold ourselves accountable and the company's not afraid to do that. And that's, that's what makes it great. It's not about being perfect. It's about when you see a problem, then you're, you're okay when people raise it and you do something about it. Absolutely. I have to say, um, selfishly, I was very upset when you left our team, <laughs> but I'm really happy you are at a place where they're so supportive and you are able to make this kind of impact. Yeah, I don't know that at prior companies I would have been able to. Well, one, maybe because there would have been people who looked like me that were in bigger positions than I was in. You know, two, um, they were much bigger companies. And three, not that they weren't, they're not values-driven companies, but I do um, really see a difference in Levi's in the sense that, like, they really do live their values. We talk about it in day-to-day -day meetings. Um, it's been just really beautiful because that's always what I believed in. I've, I've really wanted to work in a place. I work, I went to corporate because I felt like that was the way I could help people. Being in a nonprofit, I was, I would always be begging people for money. And in a corporation, I would have the money and I could make the difference. And this is a company that they really believe that as well, that, that, you know, um, kind of profits through principles like that, that that's what our customers want. People want to rally around a company that really believes in that. Um, so for me, it's been great. It's It's been great. And I don't know that I would have the same platform anywhere else. So I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, it's really good to know because, you know, we all have to think about where we're putting our dollar now, what each company represents. This tells me I need to be buying more Levi's. <laughs> yep. Happy to direct you to. <laughs> <laughs> to whatever to whatever work whatever fit oh. works for you <laughs> all the more reason i love levi's so it's great to hear that you um that they really do try to support um all like all initiatives that they publicize um and that it's not just pr <laughs> that there's Correct. a lot of work that's gone behind that and they're they're not afraid if people double check um or do those audits um, and uh, exactly what you said, this is what consumers are looking for now. Like now that we've opened the conversation, people want to know what their businesses are doing, where, where their money is going. And so there's been a couple social initiatives, the 15% pledge, the pull up or shut up. Um, what are your thoughts about those movements and how, we, how do you think that we can be better consumers? Is this enough um, to really ask, ask for these numbers from businesses? 
Yeah, I think at this point it's enough because you can't expect change overnight, right? Like Levi's doesn't have the numbers that it <laughs> that it should versus maybe the number of models we use or the number of, you know, call it um, athletes and um, musicians that we work with. Maybe the, the percentages aren't the same inside the company. But um, yeah, we are preparing to be transparent and I hope that others will be transparent. But I guess what I would ask for consumers to do, because I've heard a lot of people like, I'm, I'm boycotting this place, I'm boycotting that place because they saw something on like a Facebook post. Like do your research as well, because there people sometimes just put stuff out there for sake. I had a friend who was like, I'm, see all this, I'm boycotting, you know, XYZ company. And because they haven't said anything. And I said, well, they sent a letter last week, you know, and she was like, oh, well, they, you know, there's this whole like 3 million person, whatever, <laughs> change.org, you know, type of signature because people don't do their research. So I think it's, yes, it's great that the companies are going to be more transparent, but you have to decide what your own values are. And at a point, you're going to look into those companies and start to say, no, I don't agree with everything, but they're making a great product for me as well. And I'm not saying that that's being a sellout, but it's just being realistic too. Um, you have to, to figure out what values are most important to you and then do your research accordingly, but like really do it ask the company, you know, don't ask, don't, don't base it off of what you saw in social media or what you read in a New York times article, like do your research and, and find out and then decide the brand, you know, the brands that you want to support or not support. I just think that there's a lot of false information out there. I see it a lot, you know, with Levi's when, what people will say to me about things and I'm like, that's not even true. I mean, we've been supporting this for 10 years and you're, <laughs> you're saying we're supporting, supporting this and supporting that and, and you're taking action based on that. It's just, I don't know. I'm about being authentic to myself. I work for a company that tries to be true to itself. In some cases, that means we don't always talk about all the things that we're doing. Um, and I would just suggest that people do the same. Like you be true to yourself. If you really love that product and maybe they're doing crappy things, then you, then you gotta, if you still wanna go with that product, it doesn't make you a bad person. You know, it doesn't make you a bad person. You've gotta figure out yourself and decide what, you, but do your research. So um, yeah, I do. Th I, th I think it's great that these initiatives are coming out to challenge companies, but I guess, don't expect all the data to be good. Don't expect some of your favorite brands to be like model citizens in every single area. Because in the end, these companies are balancing their bottom line, you know, and they have to make money. And yes, we want to follow our values and do everything. But in the end, we're not nonprofits. <laughs> we, we are still, you know, there, there to make um, money. So yeah, I, th I think all these initiatives are really interesting. They're great for the transparency, but I guess just don't get discouraged when the companies aren't where they should be because they will get better as a function of it. And they'll get better if you're a customer and you love that product, but they don't do things you like, that's a great opportunity. That's another thing you can do to say, you know, I absolutely love your product, but I don't love that you do this or that you're not sustainable or that you're not this. Like, what's your plan to do that? And because companies do listen to that. Yeah, that's, I definitely think it's very important to give the company a chance to respond and to change their behavior and actions. I've been seeing this morning, I was looking through Instagram, I'm seeing a lot of companies sharing their, their diversity numbers within their company. And a lot of them, yeah, a lot of them are very heavy in Caucasian, very heavy in Asian American, right? But 
and I'm seeing a lot of negative comments towards these posts. But my thing is they're trying to be transparent. They're saying they're going to try to learn, be better. We have to give them a chance. And also, I think we talked about this in our first episode. Don't believe everything you read on Facebook or on any social media. Do your own research, right? Because people nowadays love to share their own opinions as facts. So this is why if you read something, look to three separate news sources to see if they're talking about the same thing. Totally so, agree. <laughs> absolutely. I'm so glad you talked about that, especially with um, the amount of products that we do have as consumers as choices. Um, we, you know, don't just listen to also like the brand side as well, like um, be able to like speak and um, and find those reviews and see what works for you. Um, and all the, out of all the products that we, you know, we do have on the market, um, you know, I were like, we were both in the beauty industry. So we know that the beauty industry was trying to be more diverse, but are there other products or other categories or other industries that could also be doing better in, in being more diverse. Um, I know that I had some friends who were talking about um, disability and cosmetic products that it's very hard to be able to tell the shampoo bottle from the conditioner bottle when your eyesight's not that great. And I know that there's some companies that were changing the packaging, adding braille to different packaging. Um, and Uma Beauty has concealers that are targeting skin concerns um, based on the shade ranges. But is there anything else that um, you think Levi's has been doing or other companies have been doing that um, just haven't been talked about yet? Hmm. I don't know if there's anything specifically that I know from a, a fashion standpoint. Um, I do think not necessarily in the call it consumer products category, but in the technology category, I do think there are opportunities um, to address for for different groups, especially um, black groups, whether it be in financial services or um, just general technology. And I don't have a good example off the top of my head, but I, I think in some cases it's it's food products right i think there's probably there are probably opportunities there but um i think it's less about is there if there's a product that we need i think we'll find it we're kind of doing it under you know <laughs> under the table you know to a lot in a lot of in a lot of ways too i think it's more about you know how do we get people of different races working on all these new products so when there's a new idea for whatever, a new gene, do we have everybody kind of weighing in on that to kind of see like, what are the features that, that are needed? I mean, we, you know, we've talked about it at, um, at Levi's, you know, when you think about, yes, we have a, we have a gene that was made that's called a more athletic fit. And that's the one I recommend to my black male friends that have a little more in the back, you know, and don't want like this big gap, like it's made, you know, more for that. Yes, it was call it based off of some football players, but we have a lot of those type, those body types, you know, but you have to have somebody in the room or call it modeling it after someone um, to really understand some of those 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 needs. So I think the bigger gap is less in the product itself, which I think there's plenty of product opportunities across. But um, but even if the people that were working on it were more diverse, you would get a better product overall for everybody. Yeah, right. I think Ivana I have experience in this in the beauty company that we used to I used to work for. They're not a racist company at all. They're very diverse. They're all about embracing your own unique beauty and everything. But they didn't have as many dark skinned 
um, employees in the office. So we want to test shades and see how that looks on your skin tone. We are always having a problem. Um, so that's definitely, I mean, it's very true. It's probably not the product was actually having employees there that can give their feedback. Exactly. Um, I think that this has been a really good conversation. Charis, I want to be conscious of your time because it's been over an hour now. Um, so I think we we'll want to just wrap it up with one last question, which is uh, there are many topics the media has covered on the issue of racism on the Black community, but what are some topics they have not covered that we should be aware of? Um, I think they've touched a little, but I think there's a big piece with this workplace and this daily stuff that that we go through, you know, mm -hmm. the hoodie stuff and what gets a lot in the press is when someone dies, but yes. doesn't get as much in the press. It's in call it the black press, but maybe not the rest or like when, you know, there was a kid who had basically a sheriff and a bunch of, for lack of a better term, vigilantes just came to the house because they thought he was somebody else who stole something or did something and you know they literally came barged into his his home you know what does that do to that high school kid i mean it had his little graduation sign with his name on it they didn't check that before they came in there are like those kinds of incidents that are happening that mess with call it our mental health and our psyche and mm -hmm. i don't think that's really talked about is that these little picks away every day everybody wants to be like oh george floyd and let's honor him and let's do a moment of silence and all of those things are beautiful and i, and I don't i don't want to discredit that but what about all these people that are left you know and what are we doing to them especially from a mental standpoint because when when we talk about even with um covid19 and we have been disproportionately, you know, impacted. It's, you know, we are two times likely to die from, from this disease. And a lot of it's because we have these, these conditions and people will say, well, it's just because of the way they eat or just because of the way they do this. Well, not, it's not actually, sure, that may be part of it, but a big piece of it is because we're exposed to trauma daily. And there's not, a, there's, there's bits of conversation about it, but there isn't a lot of conversation about what is this daily stuff doing to us? What are these little bits of institutionalized racism and these constant boulders that we have to get over? Um, what are they doing to us? And it's, it's killing us. It's killing us slowly, but it's giving us, you know, diabetes and heart disease and all of these other things. And not to mention, you know, we live in food deserts and all that stuff. But even if you're a person like me who is very fortunate, has a, you know, has the money and, you know, and I've lived a really nice life, you know, than better than most people. But those things still plague me and they still plague my family and I still have to deal with it no matter how much money I'll have, I still have to deal with it. Um, that's where I wish the conversation would go because it's kind of how do we change that stuff? Because if we change that stuff, we're not going to get to these police brutality incidents because people are already going to break down some of that daily pick, 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 pick away. Um, and, you know, or we're not going to have these conditions that when any virus comes, it just wipes us out, you know, it just, mm -hmm. you know, kind of gets us right with that. So I think I wish there was more you know, I know it's not, it's not as a fun article for people to read or to watch. They'd much rather hear about this, you know, really sad story about somebody who died, but I would really like more information on how we're living and how we can continue to live. And, and also, you know, there's, there's lots of discussion around the healthcare piece um, that we receive for healthcare, but even in terms of studies, like 
it kind of goes back to what we were saying about the beauty industry. Like if you don't have enough blacks in the study, you don't know how that impacts them. You know, you don't know how this medication is going to impact them. You don't know the long term. I mean, it's just all of those things start to start to play together. And there's no discussion on that because it's not sexy and it takes work. Um, but I, I wish there was more out there about that. And that's the stuff that I try to do my research on because, yes, I am concerned about my kids, you know, being safe and, and coming home safe. But their likelihood, yes, it's higher than their, you know, white and brown peers that, that they won't come home safely, but it's still a lower percentage. What's not low is that they won't get roughed up or, you know, have a teacher that doesn't pick on them, but if they do something really just slightly wrong that instantly expels them, screws them up, you know, those kinds of things could easily could easily happen or being paranoid when they go to the gym or take a jog or all of that. And that's what I want to keep my kids from. I want them to, you know, not have to think about that kind of stuff every time and not let it mess with them every single day they have to leave the house. So I wish there was more out there. I'm trying to find, you know, the research myself to try to see how I can, you know, counteract it. But it's not what's in the news. And frankly, it's not what people want to hear about or see about. Everybody thinks we're mourning because of George Floyd specifically. This is so much bigger than that. It's that we're tired. You know, we're tired that it's all of this. And now you guys want to talk about that. Like we've moved on. Like we're, we're trying to like live our lives. And and by the way, you're still stopping us from living our day-to-day -day lives. Fine that you're not killing us, but you're still stopping us from living our day-to-day -day lives. So um I think that's what you're seeing. And that's why you're seeing a lot more people speak out because we're like, now you're getting it. Like we've been telling you this. <laughs> we've been telling you this for our whole lives that these things happen and, and you need a video in order to believe us, you know, great. Now that you believe us, but you still don't think the stuff's happening at work. You still don't think that, you know, the way that person treated me in the gym or the way that person treated me while, when I walked down the street is real. Um, so it's, you know, how do we, how do we, get there and that's that's kind of what I would love to see more more research more research on so yeah I think those little facts that we are not aware of is so important you mentioned that the piece about healthcare I started reading some facts uh, um, into the healthcare after I read your article that you wrote and I found out that black people seeking tests or treatments for COVID are six times more likely to be turned away from whites which I mean, no wonder they're dying at a higher rate. They're not even getting tests or treatment for it. And then 80 to 90% arrests for breaking social distancing in New York were Blacks and Latinos. And, you know, we think about all the prote white protesters out there with, with machine guns. If Blacks and Latinos did that, or even Asians did that, we all, all be in jail. I mean, we would be so screwed. So it is not fair. All of these facts are, they don't really get brought up very much, but these are the facts that make you really kind of examine well, why is this happening? And how come this is implied to me? And why should there be a difference? So I think that's really important what you brought up. Yeah, I know that um, we're almost at time, but you guys did have a bonus question in there that I thought was really interesting. Mm, yes. um, so I did want to say a little bit about that because why don't you maybe... Yes, kind of the bonus question was I wanted to address um, there is racial tension between Asian American community and the Black community. Um, like I said, there's been a ton of support from the Asian American community, but 
there is racial tension, especially from the older generation. Um, and a lot of it is this whole COVID has been very fresh on um, everyone's mind, right? When this COVID hit, there was a lot of violence on Asian. And over Facebook, a lot of videos that we saw were violence from Black people against Asian people, um, especially Black people against our elderly Asian people. So this is sort of one of the most common things I hear when I say, you know, why are you not more vocal about this whole um, Black Lives Matter movement? They're like, well, why should I be vocal if they're abusing my own people? So that's my bonus questions. I kind of wanted to find out from you, you know, what are your thoughts on this and how can we better bridge a gap between these two groups? Because only we can only make more change if we come together as a group. Yeah, no, I found this question really interesting because I hadn't heard that, you know, you were talking about these videos and I have never seen videos. Now, I am not saying that it didn't happen. I'm not saying it didn't happen. You have the videos, it's happened. And I, I'm not saying it didn't. But when I hear, when I look at my own Facebook feed that has a lot of blacks on it, I don't see this like, oh, these Chinese people caused it. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I don't see that animosity that... I've seen maybe with when other things happen, you know, I have now I have seen blacks post certain some of, you know, I think like that commercial that's in China with the guy getting washed, you know, the black guy getting washed and mm -hmm. coming out like a Chinese man. And, and I have seen, you know, the videos of, like in China where people were during COVID, they were kicking out the Africans and the, and yeah. the blacks. But, um, but I had, but I hadn't seen this like anti- it was never, and, and, and even in those instances, it was never like, so you shouldn't like Chinese people. A lot mm -hmm. of it related to kind of the Chinese government. Yes. All of like the undertone was more like, look what the government's doing, not like Chinese yep. people. Yes. So when you sent that question, I thought it was really interesting. And it kind of goes back to that, like, do your homework, because I instantly went to do the research and I was trying to search and search over and over for like... Blacks against Asians and COVID and all this. And I couldn't find anything. I couldn't, mm -hmm. you know, I couldn't find anything. And it doesn't mean that it's not happening. But I guess if it was to me, if it was one of those disproportionate type things, I would have thought it would have been called out because mm -hmm. there's plenty of statistics on blacks that kill whites and whites that kill blacks and Hispanics that kill this. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> there's plenty of, of those. And, you know, so it was really, um, I, I actually even posed it to a friend of mine. I'm like, are you, are you hearing this? Um, and she was like, yeah, I didn't even know about it either. And then she said at work, you know, there was some discussion less about the attacks, but just more on this tension mm -hmm. kind of between the two. And I think part of it is because, you know, Asians were probably some of the few groups that were willing to move into our neighborhoods. You know, we buy our hair from you, you know, mm -hmm. we like um, you, you go in and, and sell us things. So we're in the neighborhoods. And so sometimes, unfortunately, I think you guys are victims, but we're killing each other way more than we're killing and attacking anyone else. And maybe it's a wrong, I don't even call it wrong place, wrong time, but you're in our neighborhood. So we're unfortunately treating you, but I will say at least, and I can only speak for myself. I can't speak for the broader community, but um, from what I see in my world, it's not a specific like that we don't like Asians more than we don't like any other group, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> or that we have any, you know, racial animosity towards that. We talk a lot about whites, but we don't necessarily talk about that specifically. But I just thought maybe it's because we are more intertwined and we, in our histories, 
we've had some similarities, you know, we built yes. this country in a lot of ways. Yep. And when, when, when there were no more black slaves, you know, there were, you know, in some cases, Chinese brought in or, yes. you know, and then you had Japanese internment camps and like, there's all these things that happened. And I actually did a, um, a tour of Japantown and it was just talking about how many different groups of people have been there. And it's basically just like when the Jewish people came and the earthquake came, they were booted out. And then it was like, then, then it was like the Japanese came in and then internment camps happened. So they got booted out. The blacks came in and then <laughs> the whites took them out. And then the Korean, you know, it's just, it's just, everybody's kind of pushed, you know, pushed each other out. So I don't know that to me, it's, any more tension than blacks have with any other group sadly mm -hmm. you know we have a lot of tension with a lot of groups we don't have any groups people would think yeah oh well you're tight with hispanic or latino groups or latinx whatever you would like to call but that's not true either you could you'd find the same you know the same things and i don't know that they're racially motivated as much as we have well, people think, who do bad things yeah i think i think like each group obviously is going to care the most about their own group, right? So that's why there's not as much discussion around like, hey, how are we helping other minority groups? I think this this is where in the first episode, I, I spoke to why I, one of my biggest issues with, with Facebook is you shouldn't personalize your news. And I think this is a very prime example of because I'm Asian and my a lot of my inner circle are Asian, we're sharing the same kind of news. So more of the same news I get. So I get, I see all of these videos that you don't see and whereas i don't see a lot of this violence on the black community as much as i only see them when something someone gets killed and it's a really big news outside that i don't encounter any of those so again that that goes back to i don't think your news should be personalized you should be able to see all different ways and number two is i've been doing a little bit of research into this whole racial tension between the asian and the black community and again i i wouldn't call it a huge racial tension it's a smaller group but a big part for covid my my thoughts were number one it's frustration, right? If you're seeing your group is dying more than any other group, you're going to be frustrated. And when you're frustrated, you want to take your anger and then it comes in the education part. So if you don't know any better, you don't know the cultural differences and you don't know, you know, who's really responsible, you take it out on whoever the media is saying the person responsible and the media was saying the Chinese were responsible. So we're all under attack. So that's where I felt like it's, it's not an incident where the black community saying we want to attack Asians. It was just, we need a scapegoat. We're angry. And this is what the media is telling us who we should be blaming. And then lastly is this whole um, part of things, part of something I learned from watching the documentary on the 92 um, LA riots was this Korean lady had murdered a, a black teenager and she should have been held responsible. She didn't go to jail for it. My husband's like, how could that be? You know, you, if you kill someone, you need to be held responsible. You need, that's number one. Number two, a lot of, I think, is also culture differences, right? I, I had read on somewhere, they said that um, the Black community felt disrespected because the Asian, the Korean store owners were selling them these liquors. they won't look them in the eye and that was offensive to them but in the asian culture if you look someone you stare someone in the eye for too long that's disrespectful so there's the cultural gap so this is why i feel like it's so important for us to tell each other stories to tell each other what each other culture is like so we can better communicate because culture is a huge thing it's a huge thing that's dividing us yeah no i i 
I completely agree with you one, one thousand percent. Because yeah, we are as blacks, and I've seen this statistically. We are naturally suspicious. Like we are going to start by being suspicious of you. So are Asians. So are Asians. Yeah. We're also naturally suspicious. <laughs> so we're going to start with kind of a, a side eye, or if you're giving us a side eye, we're going to sure you know give it back to you. And if we don't see those, but once you break through that, you know we're all right. But yeah, we are going to be naturally like you don't want anything positive to happen to me. <laughs> so, yeah, I think we're the same way. This is why I can see, you know, if we don't talk to each other and we are thinking you're looking me in the eye. So I feel threatened and I'm not looking in the eye. You feel disrespected. And right. that's, yeah. that's going to become, example. yeah. It's a great example. Um, Yvonne, do you have any other comments or questions? Um, I think that that was, you guys like tied it up in a nice neat bow. I think that was a great end to the discussion um, and such a great, way to round off all the really hard topics and to really inspire me to also do that research about those daily traumas. Um, okay, so just to wrap it up, um, Chairs, we usually like to end with a quote. Um, do you have a your favorite quote that you want to share? <laughs> oh, gosh. You don't have guess, to if you don't have one. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll, I guess I'll just use what I what I said before. You can only start where you are. So we're at a very interesting time right now. And I think there's a lot of guilt, there's a lot of shame, there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of emotions. Um, but in the end, like we can only start where we are. So one step is enough. Um, and then take the next one. You can only kind of take one step at a time. So there's two. <laughs> that, that is the perfect quote. I think that's a perfect quote for our podcast too, <laughs> because we are just taking it a step at a time to, to learn what we can. <laughs> Okay, Chairs, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been you. an amazing conversation. I've learned so much. And I think Ivana have a lot to think about. And, you know, we hope to continue to carry on these conversations um, with other people and, and continue to learn more. Great. And I really appreciate you guys having me. Like I said, the more of these we have, I think the better we'll all be. So thank you. Thank you. Thank appreciate you. Thank you, so much. <laughs> thank you, everyone, for listening. That was such an amazing conversation. Our action items for this week is to continue to listen and learn. It seems like everyone is talking right now. We feel that it's equally important to listen. It's only through learning about other people's experiences and their cultures can we bridge the difference between us and work together as one. If you wish to follow Cheris, you can find her on LinkedIn or on Instagram at Cheris Marquez. You can also find her information and more in our show notes. Thanks again for listening.